If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore thoughts in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Uh, before we get going here, big shout out to the Patreon patrons, people who are supporting this podcast financially. You guys are awesome. I love you guys. Uh, if you've personally benefited from this podcast, please consider joining the Patreon and, and helping this train keep rolling here. Another way you can support this podcast is subscribing on YouTube. I think you have to hit a notification bell if you want to see it now because YouTube's always changing their stuff. But uh, do that if you want to see more episodes. And then if you really, really love this podcast, you can go over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and a comment. That would be huge. Today's episode, I'm going to be having a conversation with uh, Dr. Rocco Gennaro. Gennaro, we were talking off air about how our ancestors would be uh, rolling in their graves, hearing how we pronounce our Italian last names. My, mine's probably Setacasa or uh, set a case, but it's set a case here. So um, they're rolling in the graves, but that's okay. We're going to keep rolling through it, uh, through this conversation. I say conversation because it's uh, not an interview. Uh, we're going to be talking, man. We're going to be figuring some stuff out. We're going to be going over his book, Consciousness, and it's in the uh, Rutledge or Routledge, uh, New Problems of Philosophy. I love problems in philosophy, so I'm really excited. Enough out of me. Uh, let's bring him right in. <clears throat> Dr. Gennaro, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So um, I love the problems of philosophy. Maybe I'm, I'm sadistic. Maybe I'm a weirdo. But I think that's where all the interesting stuff happens. So I was really excited to see uh, this new problems of philosophy. There's the old problems or just problems of philosophy in Rutledge, but this new problem and to see that you did a whole one on consciousness. Before we jump into consciousness and those kind of questions, just how did you end up uh, getting into consciousness, being someone who they'd reach out to to write a book on the topic? Uh, Rutledge uh, had this series. Rutledge had that series, and uh, um, they were the person who uh, it's Jose Bermudez who um, edits the series. Maybe I had a conversation with him, and then it, it one thing led to another, yeah. and uh, and then they ended up uh, asking me, and then I think I just sent a, a proposal. So yeah, I, <laughs> been, I think I might have uh, might have also broached the topic with uh with someone at Rutledge at a conference you know they have the book exhibits oh sure you know this is well this would go back probably like five years now yeah and uh and then uh, one thing led to another and uh yeah. out and then uh and then it actually led to me also editing uh an anthology with Rutledge too uh yeah I saw that one they have yeah and yeah so, I gotta pick that up well, so how how do you even become someone who uh, would be an expert in, in consciousness? Like, how how did you get interested in the in the topic itself? 
Yeah, I mean, I've always had the more of a, like an empirically oriented uh, way of thinking about uh, f- some of the philosophical issues. I love the metaphysics. Uh, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's just uh, that when it comes to, uh, say, even going back to undergrad days, you know, uh, I-, I did major in philosophy. Uh, mm-hmm and minored even actually minored in religion but um so there's uh, a lot of it it seemed like a lot of the biggest issues started to come back to questions of philosophy of mind right i mean even some of the big questions about life after death or you know immortality or the possibility of it at least yeah um, those free sorts will. of questions, yeah. uh, free will even as uh, related comes up so it seemed like um and then the mind-body problem. So as an undergraduate, I, I kind of flirted with a double major, didn't really double major in psych, but I was always interested in the neuropsych. Now, this goes back a long way, you know, <laughs> so we're talking about, you know, 80s, you know, the 80s. And uh, and then I think um, I decided to, to go to grad school up at Syracuse, and uh, it was not only the, some of the professors there, but it was also, um, there were a lot of, so there's sort of a flurry of books, you know, at that time on consciousness, you know, Daniel Dennett and yep. Owen Flanagan, uh, Patricia Churchland's Neural Philosophy came out. So that, that just kind of solidified uh, and it was kind of exciting. And it's like, you know, maybe thinking of some of these theories and some of these views in a more empirical way in terms of some of the neuroscience. And and uh, and then as a as a grad student, I even took a a neuropsychology uh, graduate course as part of the philosophy program. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it kind of snowballed and, and yeah. uh, always been of, uh, of interest of mine. It seems like a lot of things come back to it, you know, uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it it's, I love it. It's probably my favorite uh, subdiscipline in philosophy because of what you said, you know, there's all, everything kind of comes to it. And uh, you could be looking at epistemology, you could be talking about free will, you could be, you know, ethics, whatever. But at the end of the day, you are the one doing it. You're this, and, and are you the one doing it? I guess, you know, the, all these kind of things, yeah. this, these consciousness questions keep coming back up. Um, what, what is consciousness? Start with a simple question. Well, <laughs> I don't know if that's a simple question. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's, uh, well, part of the problem with a question like that is always that it's, uh, the term is, is, is so ambiguous. Yeah. Right? It's it's pretty well understood to be ambiguous too. Mm-hmm. So um, you know when people define it, like what is it that we're talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, like what is it we're trying to maybe even explain? Uh, that's where you know you have some agreement among philosophers that probably what we have in mind is uh, you know it's sort of Thomas Nagel's famous phrase uh, uh, that uh, what it's like to be something that's like to be a bat that there's something it's like to experience something like a subjective first-person perspective, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what people, at least philosophers, typically have in mind. You know, what is consciousness? It's a uh, like an essentially first-person um, experiential subjective uh, component. Uh, now, once you get beyond that and people sort of have this idea, well, I know what you mean. We, <laughs> we're, <laughs> that's what we, we have. We are conscious. and. Mm-hmm. And um, but how do you explain uh, how to explain it? I mean, there are about 10 different distinctions that come up. I mean, so in, in some areas, the uh, one question that comes up maybe the most in recent years is um, what makes a mental state a conscious mental state? In other words, how do you what's the difference between a 
mental state, say an unconscious one, which just about everybody today, you know, believes that there are, right? Right. Um, I mean, Descartes didn't, but you know, yeah. Saying. Um, and um, we sometimes the question is put more uh, in those terms. Now, some, you know, some will choose to, you know, pursue a more direct uh, neurophysiological explanation, but there are other, you know, uh, kinds of explanations, mentalistic, uh, different types of explanations that are given. And we can get more into that in a bit, but yeah. that's the, the sometimes the, it's the distinction between what's sometimes called state consciousness, mm-hmm. uh, mental states are conscious. So we sometimes say, right, you know, the, the pain is conscious or the, whatever, the, the perception is conscious. Other times, though, you know, there might be a bit of a different, even linguistically, a different, uh, the dog is conscious. So you're talking about something like creature consciousness or something along those lines. Uh, there's like, that's at least one common distinction if we're talking about trying to explain, you know, explain it. And yeah. uh, which, you know, is not notorious, notoriously uh, difficult in many ways. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes just getting at least a little bit of a handle on uh, the question itself. Right. Yeah. Uh, is, is half the battle. So um, so that's it's, you know, the term consciousness itself, like uh, as an abstract noun. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's not really used a lot. I mean. Uh, in, in the literature, I mean, you know. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, it's the, it's the title of my book, right? So I understand it's used. It's just that, it, you know, we usually end up with, you know, 10 subdivisions and sub-questions. Yeah, access consciousness or, you know, phenomenological or phenomenal right, consciousness. Ned Block's yeah. distinction, the state versus creature consciousness. Uh, David Rosenthal uh, makes that distinction, you know, a while ago, and people use it all the time. Yeah. And, uh, the connections between them. Of course, you're going to get some dispute, you know, about a lot of these, you know, some people wonder, I mean, in a way, I, I kind of am too, one, why what Ned Block calls, you know, access consciousness, I mean, why are we even calling it consciousness? If, I've, I feel the same way, and maybe it's because I read your book, but maybe you convinced me, but I would think I was already teetering that way anyways, and I just... Yeah, I don't know how even even helpful that is. If if Ned wants to come on, man, then I will. I'll talk to him about that too. But I'm yeah. sure he has plenty of. Uh, I mean, I know. He, I mean, I know he has plenty of uh, arguments and reasons yeah. for it. Yeah. It's just um, there is a tendency. There is a tendency sometimes, maybe even too much of a tendency. If you go too far. Mm-hmm. With, Stations, you know, everybody feels like they've got to make their own. Yeah. You know, then there's that, but the problem there is always that then you, you know, you, you run the risk of talking past each other, right? I mean, definitely. I talk about unconscious phenomenal states. I, I mean, qualitative state, you know, um, there's some philosophers even, you know, we use, well, experience. I mean, to me, it just seems like at some point we can reserve a couple of those terms for just the consciousness. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily say anything about whether you could reduce it or not reduce it to neurophysiology. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, this terminological, some at least, terminological choices. Yeah. Age, yeah. Well, so Nagel's uh, What It's Like principle, uh, I don't know, if 1974, something like that. Uh, what it's yeah. like to be, is there something it's like to be a bat? Um, or what is it like to be a bat? The What It's Likeness principle has stuck. Um, is that just an accident of history or is that a good, a good marker to go with that consciousness means there's something that it's like to be that thing? Um, no, I think it's, I think it's stuck because people really did have a very intuitive sense of what he meant. It's like people immediately kind of, 
recognized, you know, whether we're talking about animals or ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, if we are going to attribute consciousness to either an organism, right, a yeah. cat, a dog, or us, or to a particular mental state, that, um, you know, that um, we understand it that way. It's a subjective uh, perspective. Um, maybe a uh, hundred years ago, under, you know, behaviorists uh, and more recent uh, versions of behaviorism, you know, because there was a long period of time where, uh, even within psychology, and even among some from some philosophers, it was consciousness was almost like a taboo thing. You know, you, you can't measure it, you can't see it, you can't right. And there was a long period of, in psychology for sure, behaviorism, and uh, and even uh, amongst philosophers for a while. But I think the the pendulum has certainly swung back the other way. The good thing about at least the last 30, 40 years, which is also, as I mentioned earlier, kind of exciting, is you're getting a lot more interdisciplinary and you know cross-disciplinary interest and understanding between you know philosophy, psychology, neuroscience. And um, but again, you always have to be careful and be aware that there could be different uses yeah. you know, of these terms, and we want to make sure. Uh, that we're at least talking about the same thing, you know? <laughs> right. Well, so, so sticking with Nagel then, um, there's something that's like to be a bat or is there, is, it was his question, right? Um, you, you talk about it in the book a little bit, um, animal consciousness is, yeah. is there something that it's like to be a bat or animals, uh, conscious? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've published a few things on that. Uh, I think most animals are, mm-hmm. uh, uh, bats, I think, are um, mammals. After all, now, that, now I think Nagel was smart to pick the animal that maybe we would probably not quibble with much, but at the same time uh, experiences the world probably quite differently. Right? Yeah, echolocation. Yeah, it's so weird. Right to make his point, you know, about you know, even if we knew everything there was to know about you know bat brains and physio- neurophysiology. There's still something we wouldn't know, mm-hmm. right? What it's like to be the bat. That is, you know, from the bat's point of view and and so on. So that was a, it was a clever choice. I mean, but um, there's plenty of reason to think most animals are conscious. I mean, it's a matter of degree, probably, I think. But, you know, I think if you go by the combination of the, uh, you know, behavioral evidence, neurophysiology, um, some of the things that animals can do, um, you know, without, again, being careful not to, anthropomorphize and yeah and that sort of thing i think most are i mean uh, there comes a point where i become a bit skeptical or i'm perfectly willing to say i, I have no idea you know yeah uh, just because i'm not sure there's enough evidence there right i mean worms you know house flies uh you know i, I don't know i mean yeah some insects some really I don't know, tiny fish or whatever it is but you know the more you look into some animals even ones that are very primitive what we think of as primitive um it's not just that sometimes they can do things that you're surprised you know that they're <laughs> yeah but it becomes harder and harder to explain them you know in like a pure mechanistic way without you know any kind of consciousness uh, or thinking going on but you know I'm, i am kind of skeptical about some uh but not until you get maybe down to a pretty low level 
Uh, yeah, that that always it's like there's always a sororities paradox that pops up in every field, and it's like, well, where do you draw the line? It's like, dude, I don't know. Just bring up, bring the ant to me, I guess. Let's see. Let's we could talk about that, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean, you there's, would there's also the there's I mean yeah. even even the crustaceans and but then you know you look closer at some of the evidence and you start to see you know they 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 are pretty good at doing some of these experiments and tests and um, and um, you look at the brain. You know, uh, ways that we can understand. I mean, I, if if an area of our brain, you know, is sort of lights up and is seems to underlie some of our conscious consciousness, even very primitive kinds of things, you know, like feelings of pain or fear or uh, something like that. And then an animal, you know, kind of has that shared area, or at least mm-hmm. relative to its own brain, even if their whole brain is a lot smaller or whatever. Uh, and they behave the same kinds of ways under those cir- certain circumstances. You know, it starts to become r- perfectly reasonable to me, you know, to yeah. that, um, that they uh, they have those they are capable of having those conscious states too. Now, mm-hmm. most animals, uh, probably no animals, can have some you know conscious states. We do. I don't. I don't think any animals can think about the Big Bang or you know, yeah, even maybe their own long term death or. You know, right. I mean, or or do calculus, right? You don't you don't find too many, you know, cat philosophy clubs. Or, yeah, I'm kind of worried about octopi though, or octop- octopuses. I don't know how the the plural is now. They keep changing on me, but they're pretty they're pretty sharp. Who knows what's going on in their uh, in their brains there? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 true. I mean, now they can do some amazing things, but some seem to be just purely physical, right? Yeah. For survival, right? The, right. You know, the color blends in and all of that. But then they're all, and they're also able to do some amazing things. You know, there's a, there's that video. I don't know if you've seen it of the octopus uh, uh, being able to get out of a, a jar. Yeah, I've seen that. It's, 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 there's, there's a bunch of them now. They keep stuffing these octopus in uh, in jars to to film them. Pretty wild, actually. Uh, yeah. In some ways, you know. I mean, we gotta, you know, we don't want to overstate it. But mm-hmm. but there are a lot of things like that. You know, you look at the bee, you know, bees with the waggle dance and communication mm-hmm. ability, and and uh, so even things like a communication ability, even if it's within the species, right? Yeah. I'm not talking about it. Of course, they can't talk to us, but that, that's not really the point, right? Right. So if they communicate with each other, whales do it, right? I mean, you know, there, there's a point where you you know it's 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 a little bit difficult to resist the uh, the conclusion that there's some kind of thought behind that. I mean, and uh, if the behavior is somewhat flexible, depending on what, you know, is communicated, I mean, it, it, it seems like, but there's certainly lots of things, of course, that uh, we can think and we can do that they can't. There are, of course, sometimes, uh, you know, things that they can uh, they can do, of course, that we can't, like, you know, yeah. dogs that... Uh, the, the smell, the, like the ability to smell, um, and you have uh, seeing eye dogs. I mean, yeah, why, why would we have seeing eye dogs help blind people if they're unconscious? I mean, right, yeah, sharks, yeah, well, sharks are kind of weird, but they have, yeah, electromagnetism, and I think ducks use that too. They see the world differently. Uh, do right. so, so you would say that 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 consciousness comes in degrees. So, like, would a Oh, maybe you wouldn't, but I, I think you no. said it earlier. But like, is an ant less conscious, or is consciousness like a thing that, you know, like an emergent prop? All these things are loaded. But does it come as a block that like you are conscious or you're not? It's on or off, or is it like oh, there's some degree of consciousness? Um, I think 
if you, if you have a conscious state or you're a conscious creature, that is kind of on and off. Okay. Right? But um, the degree, I think, comes more with the degree of um, sophistication, mm-hmm. you might say, or the degree of um, ability within each of those, right? So, mm. you know, if you're able to consciously think about something, then uh, that's on or off. But if you have, but we have a degree of conscious thinking that animals don't, let's yeah. say, right? Or a monkey has a degree of conscious thinking that a, you know, a bat probably doesn't, or you know, those kinds of things. So I think those are a matter of of degree. Uh, some of it can depend on uh, the concepts um, that, which is another whole huge area of of research. But but uh, depending on the concepts, right, that yeah. the animals are able to uh, to possess, that's uh, no easy task. You know, trying to figure that out sometimes, but. Um, but that's part of it, right? I mean, you, you don't want to attribute, you know, to animals, uh, uh, conscious, like a, like a conscious perception of something. If there's no reason to think they have the concept of something, right? I mean, and, um, even if they're looking right at something, you know, um, that, that doesn't mean that they're going to describe it or think of it exactly the way we would, but the consciousness bit in terms of whether it's a conscious visual perception. I mean, to me, that's, yeah, that is on off or if an animal's conscious, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's conscious. I mean, it's not, you know, we might use the expression to some degree, but it depends, you know? Right. So um, in in kind of carving up uh, consciousness, there's, I I don't know uh, if this is still a a modern debate or not, but there's kind of this uh, quale, qualia kind of debate, whether there's like a, whether qualia, like you have one qualia experience, like a unity of phenomenal consciousness, or whether your your conscious experience is made up of a bunch of quale, but you have different qualia. Um, and can you, can you help us out with like, like is is con- uh, consciousness like one experience and it's one qualia together or one quale uh, that you can carve out and you can talk about eating a strawberry or something like that? Um, or is it a bunch of them kind of mixed together that we kind of bundle together and that's our consciousness. Does that make sense? Well, it makes sense. It's just, again, this is one of these areas that there's a lot of ambiguity, but you know, many people have thought about it and made yeah. decisions. I mean, it sounds a little bit like what you're saying is um, or what you're, what you're wondering about is this notion of the unity of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, qualia, you know, qualia generally is just this term philosophers use uh, the properties of conscious experience or, you know, sometimes it's, you know, I'm not even sure that that's as necessary as it is. It just sounds good. It sounds um, great. That's but, why I use it. <laughs> when you're talking about the little parts or the combining or the bind, uh-huh. the bundling, I mean, you've got the unity of consciousness uh, question that comes up. Again, unfortunately, or fortunately, for in a way, um, there's about 10 different notions of unity of consciousness, you know, but one of them is... Uh, Sounds a little bit like what you were saying, like we experience the world as a as a unified field of experience, let's say in a visual perception, right? Yeah. But also, we don't just experience one sense at a time. Mm-hmm. So even a visual experience can be complex. You know, you're at a concert, you're seeing a lot of things, right? But you're also feeling things, mm-hmm. right? You're also hearing things, right? And, uh, you know, uh, combining all of that, if you want to think of it. Now, we obviously don't go around combining that consciously um somehow um our brains do it yeah. that is still one of the issues right i mean it's called the binding problem right and uh, uh not only in philosophy but neuroscience you know how exactly is it that 
the different sensory areas of the brain operating pretty much independently uh, in some ways at least um, give rise to uh, a unified the first person unified experience that results right not an easy uh, thing to explain um, it's something you just say it's the pineal gland again couldn't we just cram it yeah, back into this say well you could say it's the non-physical mind that's coordinating it up there but you know that yeah. doesn't again uh, you could go that route but that doesn't really help very much obviously mm-hmm. and um, I never understood that and uh, that's maybe one of the reasons why the uh, more empirically oriented part of me was even from when I was kind of young I'm like well, how, how does being non-physical help to explain anything I mean I just, I don't, I yeah. just don't get it. <laughs> like people talk that way about you know materialisms and problems and I and I I, I acknowledge it. it's silly to you know to pretend that if you're even if you're a materialist you know you have all the answers right <laughs> like well how does you know how, how does a non-physical simple substance like uh, Plato or, or Descartes or even some contemporary substance dualist believe how does that explain anything it's supposed, not even supposed to be any parts right of, right. of those things so you know i just don't really i don't really understand that people go down that path but it's mm-hmm. it's it's one way to sort of shift the question but in terms of the brain yeah i mean you've got uh, you've also got um, there's other notion, other kinds of unity of consciousness that sometimes also uh, are included and discussed right there's a spatial unity um there's a temporal unity you know those kinds of things there's a bunch of them and um you know some uh, some of them um have become more understood and explored at least or more apparent in recent decades uh, because uh, another area of interest of mine because of the uh, psychopathologies that are associated with you know them so you've got these you know experiences that people have where uh, even with with very well understood named disorders, you know, um, that um, people who, you know, they can't experience the motion, let's say, you know. Yeah. You've got a, a, it's called, a, a kinetopsia, it's called, right? I've never heard of that before. They they don't experience motion? They don't experience motion, at least not the way, way we do, right? And wow. There's a problem, not surprisingly, in the area of the visual cortex. Sure. Motion area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because there's different areas, you know, one for color, one for motion, one for uh, and the process, the different. And now that's a really weird one, but there's a lot, a lot of other really, really strange ones. And of course, um, temporal unity, things like amnesia. Um, you got uh, neglect, uh, hemi, hemispatial neglect, where someone who's not cortically blind, you know, kind of ignores or doesn't pay attention to half the visual field, like the left half. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, when you see these breakdowns, uh, you've got famous kind of cases of the split brain patients and mm-hmm. all those things. So when you start to see all these breakdowns, you know, it, it gives people also reason to to not only uh, recognize what goes into having a regular, normal <laughs> conscious experience, but it also shows, yeah, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, right, in order to, to result in a normal conscious experience. And it can break down in a lot of ways, and sometimes in a lot of very, very strange, yeah. uh, very strange ways. You know. Yeah. Well, okay. So this might be a stupid question, but uh, this is why I, I need to have more people on like you. Uh, I don't see a whole ton, and maybe I'm just not up to date on <clears throat> self consciousness. Um, what do we? What do you make of? I always thought self consciousness was a pretty big 
distinction between us and everyone else in in nature that we have you know we can reflect we are uh we're self-conscious um what do you make of self-consciousness is is that being treated in the, in the field does it need to be treated more is it something that rightly ought to be studied oh yeah definitely and and i think it has been to some extent okay maybe, maybe a bit more than you know than you think but um but it is sometimes can be neglected for periods of time or has been, you know, for periods of time. But um, I mean, I'm actually working on a paper now. There's a special issue of a journal coming up that is dedicated to it, you know. Oh, awesome. Self-consciousness. There have been some and uh, even some other special issues of journals and, and, and books on uh, the nature of uh, of self-awareness, you know, and, and uh, whether it's uh, having to do with our mental states or even, uh, even the, the role of our bodies. Uh, in uh, in self awareness, so there has been, and there have also been even historically, there have been philosophers uh, who've um, uh, argued that consciousness kind of entails, in some way, self consciousness, some sort. Now, people will disagree about what the nature of that self awareness is, uh, but even going back to you know Kant and and um, Sartre and others, you have the view that, um, and I and I agree with this view that consciousness and involves self-consciousness the, the 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 difference is that um the kind of self-consciousness you describe uh, i would just the way i would put it would be introspection right that kind of thing you're mm -hmm. talking about you're really kind of focused inner consciously focused in um that i would would construe as being a bit more of a sophisticated form of self-consciousness uh, i don't okay. know it has to be that sophisticated that's where you do get more into the matter of degree like yeah. i was talking about earlier i think you do get that uh, matter of degree so you can be self-aware to some extent you know not to the greatest extent again yeah. depending on the concepts you have uh, i don't know that self-awareness of a mental state or self-aware has to involve that kind of explicit introspection you know what yeah. i mean yeah uh, it could be a little more um you know minimal than that a little, a little uh, and uh, accompanying conscious states um, and, um, and I've argued for that sort of thing, uh, you know, uh, in a few places, but I think, uh, and that's also related to the issue of animals, right? Right. I was just going to, yeah, talk about a whale, you know, uh, but so, um, are you having, are you having self-consciousness? Is it like nested inside of consciousness or is it something that like kind of emerges up out or, cause it, it seemed like you're saying, yeah, it's entailed by consciousness. Yeah, I think it's 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 nested in. It's you could think of it that I could I might put it that way. Uh, okay. each, each conscious mental state has a a kind of nested in component of self consciousness or self awareness. Now that self awareness itself might not be again itself be conscious in the sense that you're introspecting, uh -huh. but it's it's still a kind of self awareness um, that's that's involved. So I mean I would. I would put it that way. Others may not, you know, but it's on. Um, is it, is that like Kant? Uh, you know, every thought has the, I think with it. Is that it's close to it. The only thing about Kant, Kant, uh, he, his, his, uh, his way of putting it though would be weaker. Right. I mean, uh, as I understand it, he, okay. he said more something like the, I think must be able to accompany each of my thought, you know, mental states or something mm -hmm. along those lines. And I'll you know, the, that sounds more like, you know, uh, each one of my conscious states must be able to be thought about, you know, uh, not that it is. Yeah. Not that it is. So it's kind of more of a potential thing. 
Whereas uh, I would say something a little stronger than that. But, you know, he, he again may have something different in mind. If he, he, he may have in mind introspection uh, or something more sophisticated. And, and Kant, you know, for someone who didn't write a word about neurophysiology, there's a lot in what he's written that I've found very valuable in terms of uh, recognizing how much was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, in uh, you know, in order to produce consciousness, so even something like what we were talking about, the unity of consciousness, or something. I mean, he he he, he kind of recognized something like that had to be going on. You know, he called the, it the transcendental it unity, yeah, of yeah. perception, yeah, this transcendental unity of apperception. That sounds fancy. Wow. It sounds great. <laughs> and uh, you know, I was like, what in the world is that? And right. after a while, I was like, oh, I see what you mean. And then, you know, he starts talking about the synthesizing activity of my, it's, it's behind the scenes. But if you notice, all that kind of stuff is would be unconscious. Mm -hmm. right? You don't, you're not actively doing all that. No, right. right. You're on the street, you have visual perceptions. It's, yeah. But Kant, uh, you know, in, in, in a non-neurophysiological uh, description, in a way, we have different faculties, we have different areas, we apply concepts, but all that kind of stuff is behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And of course, today, you know, knowing more what we know about the brain, um, it just, to me, makes it even more interesting, right, to look at it uh, from a Kantian view. I think the other reason I think that has to do with, you know, I've defended the theory called the higher order thought theory of consciousness, something mm -hmm. a version of it, at least. Uh, David Rosenthal is best, the best known uh, defender of it. And uh, he, um, you know, that's a theory which um, not everyone agrees uh, should subscribe or does subscribe to a view that consciousness entails self-consciousness, depending how you define, you know, self-consciousness. Right. But anybody who holds a view like that or similar to it is going to think uh, by definition or that um, in order, when you're in a conscious state, you have a higher order thought about it, about that state. And you know, if, if you construe the higher order thought itself as some kind of self-consciousness, you know, then you're going to have that implication, right? That having any kind of conscious state entails self-consciousness. Uh, uh, self, uh, self it's, it's, a, it's a view that, I mean, some of us take it to be an intuitively plausible view. You know, well, which ones are the men, which of your mental states now are conscious? You know, the answer for the hot theorist would be, you know, the ones I'm aware I'm in, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, which ones are unconscious? You know, the ones I'm not aware I'm in. Right. It and seems, that so seems really intuitive there. So there's a kind of awareness. Now, you know, how do you spell out that notion of awareness of the mental yeah. state? That's where you get 20 different versions of <laughs> higher theories and you've got 50 acronyms and, you know, it, it can drive you a little crazy too um, there, right? Well, what about, so... I go with you there. That makes sense. And for for a self conscious person, that totally, I totally get that. How about for like a bat though? Like a bat has this qualitative experience of echolocating um, a, a dragonfly. Um, but to me, it seems like yeah, it, it does, it's probably not self aware of that. But but help me out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I would agree that it is not likely capable of introspection. Okay. So the way we described a more sophisticated kind of self-consciousness. Yeah, I don't think the bat can kind of reflect on, you know, <laughs> or consciously think to itself, you know, I am going to go now and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Whatever that is in bat language of thought or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But 
On the other hand, um, just the sheer fact, uh, at least according to the theory I defend and and, uh, something like it, just the sheer fact that if it is capable of having a conscious, even outer directed, you know, regular perceptual state of any kind, echolocation, that involves at least an element of a kind of self-awareness, right? I mean, the bat, um, you know, even the phrase itself, the bat knows what it's like to be in that state. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that the bat is like self-consciously, you know, doing epistemology or something. (laughs) Yeah. It's not what he, that's not even what Nagel thought, right? It was just, yeah. You know, they're capable of having outer directed first order conscious states. Um, maybe it's going to be strange to us, especially in their case, right? Sure. But people, um, but there's still an element of a self awareness, I think, uh, in those kinds of states. It's just that it's going to be a primitive kind. Mm-hmm. And in the case of a bat, or at least some more primitive animals, uh, they're not going to be um, capable of having that, you know, next level up of introspection right yeah consciously thinking about its own conscious perception of you know of, of whatever yeah. so that that seems uh, that's another reason i think you have that distinction is important okay yeah that makes sense and i think i'm pretty sure nagel talked about that in the, in the paper as well don't think of what it would be like for you to be a bat think of what it's like for a bat to be a bat and so just be it would be weird for us to think oh well I'm now I'm a bat and I don't have, how could I have my self-awareness? Well, you're thinking of yourself as a bat, not what you would be if you were a bat. Right. Because that's, you know, that was part of his point. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, I mean, his part of his point was it wouldn't be enough for us to sort of, I don't know, put on some kind of costume, start to dress like a bat and then go through even today, like a virtual, you know, virtual reality program. Still, that's not what it's like to be the bat from the bat's point of view. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what yeah. it would be like to be a bat from our point of view. So, I mean, it might be helpful. You know, it's good for the imagination. It gives you a more realistic sense. But obviously, you know, they're not going to have that same experience. I mean, and, I mean, to me, it's that in a way, it's not even surprising. I mean, their brains are very different. So, I don't yeah. mean that, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Now, now, Nagel sometimes made it sound as if that's a problem for materialism of some kind. Yeah, like, or, it, it, uh, like the the knowledge argument, right? It's been kind of developed in that way, right? And it's 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 sort of in that similar ballpark. But I don't. He didn't really try to use it even initially as a. I mean, he wasn't. It's not like he was dualist about bats, right? <laughs> you understand, right? I mean, it's yeah. Not, you know, therefore, you know, bat. Uh, I don't know. Bats have souls, and yeah, sure. Bats, bats have souls, or you know, or mm-hmm. not physical. That's not what he was doing. It was more to me. It's more, uh, and I think it is kind of important to separate the epistemology from the metaphysics there, right? I mean, sure. Um, Maybe may you know, there's some things we we don't know and can't know uh, because of, like I say, animal brains being so different. But I don't know why that's necessarily a problem for materialism. Again, it depends how you define the term. If if you're just saying, you know minds are physical let's say or you know brains or or find it some way to, that does nagel really disagree with that about a bat he's not not really i mean yeah um not knowing maybe maybe there are inherent limits to what we can know um about others but that doesn't make the mind their minds non-physical or yeah. our minds non-physical for that matter right it's a knowledge argument and something it's sort of like that but in his case 
he never really meant it. I think I think a better way to put it is maybe to think of it like it maybe just reminds us of a limitation of at least a very, very strong definition of materialism might be false. You know? Yeah, I was thinking maybe like and I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't know where you fall on that on that uh, path or on the scale. But is it a problem for a limited materialism? Uh, that could be a problem for a limited materialism if you think that you can't dispense with, even theoretically, dispense with uh, mentalistic language and, yeah. and consciousness. Yeah, I mean, but obviously there are a lot of other problems with a limited materialism, sure. you know, as well. So most, which probably maybe have more to do with why people, you know, reject uh, reject it. But it's it's uh, it's. It's related to that, I suppose, right? Yeah. But, um, but you know, not not being able to know something is still a little, still quite different than yeah, or not knowing something. Whether there exists something or there is something, and yeah. sometimes they they are a little conflated. Um, they can be conflated in some of the literature, but yeah, important uh, an, an important distinction. Well, I've I've taken it as. Um as kind of bolstering the the first person perspective and it's weird to say that because i actually don't think bats are persons but that that subjective perspective that uh has come under attack by the the third person objective scientific perspective which which you yourself you know you you really like um and and so i've always taken it that way more than 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 dualism that uh kind of like his uh, view from nowhere sorry this is a whole conversation on nagel here but he's kind of a giant in the literature um, there, there's, there's more to reality than objective reality kind of thing. Like there's all these subjective perspectives that if we reduce away, we're actually missing a lot of reality. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, sometimes I think that's overstated in some of the, sure. arguments, right? uh, yeah. there are other times when I might be willing, like I said, to just say, yeah, well, maybe, but sort of, so what you kind of expect it, <laughs> even if material is true, right? Sure. I mean, so the explanatory gap, you know, but then there are others that are, you know, explanatory gap. There's, you know, uh, there's, uh, there are other college argument, as you say, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mary in the black and white room. Now, some people, of course, you know, I have a bit of a problem with a lot of these hypothetical <laughs> conceivability argument types. Yeah. Anyway, to be honest with you, but, um, you know, there would be good to have a little more information. <laughs> putting forward all of these hypotheticals, you know. Uh, well, I hope we don't make a real Mary, I don't, Dr. General. We don't <laughs> trap someone in a room and paint her white. Yeah, I might have might have a hard time getting IRB approval for Yeah, that's right. We should try it. I don't know. We should do that kind of thing <laughs> and um, see what they say. But, I mean, you know, it's it's there are some questions that probably a lot of people think, well, I mean, what, doesn't Mary see her own veins a little bit? I mean, what do you mean she only sees black and white? I, I, I don't know. Even just things like that, right? They just yeah. see you give her contacts or something, maybe. Must be, they got to do something more than that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, and then there are others who have other uh, reasons. You're still, even if you're one of the materialist replies is, of course, to say, you know, she's not really coming to know something new. She's coming to know the same thing in a different, different way. perspective or something. And yeah. So we're talking about the world, right. And the properties in the world and, and uh, so on. Then why can't it just be the same properties? Just you understand it either from the third or the first that that doesn't again lend itself to some sort of dualist view i mean even frank jackson himself right doesn't yeah he kind of reject things. yeah knock that back yeah 
and no longer thinks it's like an argument for epiphenomenalism or, or whatever. So, you know, it's important to keep those things, uh, you know, straight. But, but then there are others who are, again, even just the way that the original hypothetical is framed is, um, you know, questionable, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it does make you, you know, wonder if such a thing is feasible or um, how that would work in practice, right? And, yeah. Well, so I, I'm sorry to do this. I love the conceivability. I just love like the armchair philosophy is my favorite. Um, and I know that's terrible, but um, okay. th- things like, like, uh, like um, inverted qualia or inverted spectrum or spectra, that one gets me going. Cause every little kid thinks about that. And we're like, you pull out a bag of Skittles and you're like, well, what if your purple is my yellow? And, uh, and I love that one. I did it wasn't until later. I, I learned that people have been pr- proposing that, um, I don't know, just against uh, materialism or physicalism, but but against like uh, functionalism. Um, right. yeah, can can you can you lay that one out for us, and then kind of give us like a hey, like like why would that be a problem for functionalism, and then what do you, what do you make of that argument? Well, I mean, if all the inputs and the outputs are the same, right? Let's say mm-hmm. the, whatever it is out there that's causing you to have certain color experiences, or two people say, right? Um, and there's something different going on in terms of the experience right one one's experience yellow the other's experience red then uh, it looks like the function functionalism you know as a as a theory of mind right so to speak uh, it can't be quite right it's not just a matter of inputs and outputs it's the feeling or it's the experience um because you could have all the theoretically at least you know hypothetically you could have all of the same inputs and outputs and not have the feeling you know people would say the same about you know pain or right i I mean um now the 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 inverted spectrum or absent uh arguments um i mean i mean again maybe it's not that simple um it may be that um if you asked a bunch of questions a person right that you could tell whether they are experiencing so, you know, depending what the inversion is. Yeah, it'd have to be like systematic, if it was systematic inversion or something. But, you know, you could ask, you say, well, you know, when, when you look at the sun, is it bright? You know, I mean, instead of, <laughs> right, if you're talking about oh, yeah. a yellow, something it could be like yellow, negative, yeah. Darker inversion, I, I mean, you know, do you, you shouldn't be looking at the sun anyway, I hope it's. <laughs> Uh, Another one that's hard to test, yeah. uh, You know, or or is it, I mean, we use these other words, right, you know, uh, that sometimes uh, philosophers bring up that might be able to help answer whether or not your experience, uh, that we could never know is supposed to be the point. Maybe we could, but that's not that clear. It also could be that just the way our brains are in neurophysiology, the way the rods, the cones work and everything Mm -hmm. else, it, it may also just be that at least some inversions are just at least physiologically uh, not possible right yeah right you can always still say theoretically or hypothetically it is and go from there but i'm not you know i'm not sure that that's going to carry as much weight in those cases it could depend so um so yeah that's more of an argument against uh, functionalism uh, or, uh and um not as much maybe with materialism but there are right. other problems materialism bring up which at least might be related, you know, like, uh, you know, the so-called hard problem and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so people bring up things like that. It's, uh, I do think sometimes people forget that we are somewhat in the infancy of, you know, yeah. neurophysiology. Yeah. 
and uh, people are, it's, it's almost like there seem to be some that are, well, you know, materialism, you know, it is the hard problem, and now you guess you're going to have to go somewhere else. And it's hmm. a hard really, it's a hard problem, and you're gonna, so what are you going to give up? Or yeah, that's a that's an interesting uh, take. Just the way people put it. I mean, Daniel yeah. Dennett has that uh, Daniel Dennett mentioned one time. You know, dualism is like giving up or something like that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I kind of feel like that. Really, you know, you, you gave it fifty years, and so now you're you jump ship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how much more do you want to know? What more? Now, of course, some argue that these problems materialism face could never be solved right that's why you get these hypothetical far into the future you know marriage. Yeah, it's like a, a conceptual impossibility or something like that right right yeah and, that's what the argument well I, I wanted to get your thought again on on uh on robots and robots uh, consciousness um to me they seem like just an instantiation of a philosophical zombie i think that uh, I, I know we're, we probably shouldn't talk about Searle. He's kind of like he who should not be named anymore and probably for good, for good reason. But the, the Chinese room arguments got in deep in my head. Do you think the, the Chinese room is, is successful against like strong AI and, and conscious robots or, or not quite? I don't think that argument itself is, is, um, uh, is definitive uh, as a problem for strong AI for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, I think the question that really matters more, um, even in his own original paper toward the end, is whether or not uh, consciousness requires biological, yeah. you have to be a biological organism. People seem to forget that latter part of the paper where he, he seems more interested, and maybe rightly so, in whether or not consciousness has to be biological. I'm not sure how you could prove that. I know. Yeah. That's why I think we leave it off because it's like, all right, you, you go figure that one out, man, because yeah, that one's right. weird. Now, that's one of those things where, where you know, why would you think it has to be? Why can't we? A part of it is, you know, well, we don't exactly know yet quite what it is about our brains that allows for consciousness as such, right? It's talking about a physical. But I mean, whatever, whatever it is, if it requires something like, you know, neurochemistry, yeah. I mean, yeah. you couldn't have a conscious. Now, you know, we still might say, well, why can't there be, you know, again, aliens or, but they're bio, they'd be biological, maybe there's right. different biological. But the Chinese room argument itself, you know, he never uses the term consciousness, right, in that argument. But when he mm -hmm. talks about understanding, you know, when he uses that phrase, that term, he, he clearly means, you know, like conscious grasping. Right. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Of the word. And, uh, and it's, it's very intuitive and it's, it's certainly, a uh, has that initial pull, but, um, but it's, it's puzzling, you know, the most common, the most common reply, even back when he originally uh, wrote the paper was, uh, the one called the, uh, systems reply. Right. Okay. Where, um, you know, well, maybe it wouldn't be, maybe he's right that Searle in the room wouldn't understand, but the whole room would, right the whole room one now that sounds really weird sounds so weird but then it's you know i mean my my response to that it would be something like well you're the one that came up with the thought expression <laughs> so so uh, why is it weird also and he says things like Searle in response to that has says things like um the idea that it that i wouldn't understand but um me and a bunch of papers and a bunch of other things combined with this or that and the other thing wouldn't understand, you know, could understand is absurd. Like, I don't know. I mean, that almost starts to sound like, you know, the, you know, the fallacy of composition, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The part doesn't, <laughs> because the part doesn't understand, that means the whole can't, or the part, I, I mean. 
Interesting. Does, I mean, I, does he does that? Does any individual neuron in my brain understand English? Hmm. No, but probably not. Yeah. Point to each one, and the answer would be no. I said, "Well, I'll take the whole thing together, right?" Yeah. So, so, so I understand English. Yeah. So I, that I might know. be that might be an argument for du- the the dualist might say, "Well, yeah, because you have an immaterial soul that's understanding. That's why, of course, you, Ned blocks Chinese nation. You know, you can't." Well, you could go that route, but then there'd be a whole other host. I know. That's what, you know. We're always better at the questions than the answers. That's, that's what's so good about philosophy of mind. You got because I'm I'm a dualist. I'm a Christian, so there's all this crazy stuff that comes with dualism, and you go okay, and everyone throws the pineal gland at you. But then you go with the materialist, and there's tons of problems, and materialists are fighting against materialists, and right. that's what I love about it is it's just this wild, wild west um, where we're. I, I think a lot of philosophy of mind are really great at poking holes. Right. And then it, and most people, when you pin them down, they end up saying something kind of strange. And that's so exciting to me. Right. I love that. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, in terms of, of religion, even growing up when I was young, we were, I was raised in a, in a religious household, but I mean, sure. from, you know, everybody at some point, you think about the problem of evil. I mean, we don't need to get into that. Obviously, sure. That was always one thing that I still have a hard time, you know, uh, yeah. Reconcile, but the other thing about it in terms of consciousness, though, <clears throat> was always this question of well, you know, people's brains get like the brain damage argument, right? You sure. know, you, it's pretty well understood, even 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 was well understood, even I think when I was ten, right? Yeah, that if damage to the brain <laughs> results in uh, consciousness deficits and all kinds of horrible problems, you have people progressively dying from dying from progressive diseases. Yeah. Out- we all got a grandma and grandpa. We see that as kids, <sighs> and we see, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Sure. From trauma, concussions, uh, all kinds of court of blindness, um, and um, you know, to me, if you you take that to its logical conclusion, it's just hard for me to understand why someone would think, well, then when when all of your brain activity ceases, you know, why why is it most reasonable to think, yeah, you know, all of your conscious mental activity. Um, now, you know, I'm not saying there aren't possible, you know, maybe God <laughs> does something, you know, I don't know, maybe sure. God recreates your body someplace, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. And maybe, um, but it's it's a little, you know, I, I just always struck me as, always struck me as a real stretch, you know, mm-hmm. to try to, 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 to you first you acknowledge that all kinds of brain damage to sometimes very specific areas in the brain. Yeah, right eliminates certain conscious experiences right yeah conscious language comprehension all kinds of seeing hearing but then when well when all the brain activity ceases you know you're 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 a conscious being and you're yeah are you are you familiar um, uh maybe some of your students have brought this up but uh like with iron iron man dualism you ever heard anyone talk about that you're you're it's a ghost ghost in the shell it's the same thing right um but it's like uh tony stark yeah he's iron man when he's in his suit but when his suit loses function iron man loses that function. like tony stark can't shoot a laser out of his hand when that's broken Mm -hmm. and so uh when it comes to the mind you know, if this part of the mind, well, then the, your your immaterial aspect can't function in this physical reality without that physical thing working. And so yeah, I wonder, uh, yeah. So that sounds closest to the, the response that's sometimes it's called the instrument theory. Like our brain is just an instrument yeah, sure. through which, you know, our non-physical minds, yeah, uh, you know, do things with our body. I mean, but, you know, I, like I said, I have a real problem with that analogy. I mean, you know, sometimes the analogy that had been used at least years ago was, 
it's like the television signals, or at least when we had them, you know, just the other way. The other right. Television signals, but the TV set breaks down. You know, you're not going to be able to watch the show, right? Yeah. But that's 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 kind of I think a bad analogy, right? I mean, yeah. we're not we're not it, the Alzheimer's patient, right? I mean, could you? I mean, if the analogy is meant to really be an analogy, the television signal should be like the consciousness, right? Yeah. The brain is supposed to be like the the television set that's breaking down. Right? Yeah. I mean, you don't. We wouldn't say to our grandmother there, you know, don't worry, nothing's wrong with your consciousness, really. Um, yeah. It's your brain causing problems of communication or ability. It's your consciousness is fine. Well, I mean, from her first person, it's not just that, like, we have a hard time, you know, understanding and she can. It's I mean, she, presumably from her point of view, right? Yeah, right. From yeah, she's like bonded view. to that. Yeah. She's, uh, she can't remember things, right? I mean, sure. she can't uh, understand some things she used to. And, and so I'm not sure what to make of it, you know, make of that kind of analogy. Sure. Because uh, it sounds like what's, what's being said by analogy is, you know, her uh, her non-physical conscious mind is just fine. Yeah. It's just that something in the, you know, people use different analogies, you know, phone, and you know, like phone call, where, you know, there's a signal problem. Or, yeah, yeah. Years ago, but even then, you know, it doesn't seem like grandma's on the inside saying everything's fine. I'm just kind of glitching out because you know, my brain. Yeah, if sure. Only people can understand, you know. Uh, yeah, well, that could happen too. Sure, right? sure. Have someone in a, I don't know. There's like a locked-in syndrome or something like that where that happens, but but that that doesn't seem like what's happening with grandma who has uh, progressive uh, dementia or something. Sure. Right. Yeah. Doesn't. Yeah. Well, Doctor Jarrow. Um, what do you think about about robots being conscious? Like, can can we plant your flag in the in the ground here? Oh, like, um, yeah, yeah. Just to get yeah to get back to that, um, I'm skeptical about whether robots, the way we understand them, being made of the materials that they're typically made of, can be conscious. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I have a really great argument against yeah. that. It's hard to prove that kind of negative, like yeah. I mentioned earlier. Right. I'm to to, uh, to agree with. Um, so at least to the extent that biology is is required in some way or another. Okay. But I, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure why, you know, sometimes I'm, um, um, he uses, of course, this vague phrase, you know, doesn't have the right causal powers. Nobody knows what that means. Yeah. Um, he says, and um, I'm not sure I know what that means. I mean, in a way, I kind of think I do, but, you know, um, but I, I don't think uh, even a materialist has to somehow automatically think, though, that any kind of material could be, even if it's manipulated, combined, has to could be conscious. I mean, why would we think that, right? I mean, yeah. there's lots of materials that, I mean, you know, some materials just can't conduct electricity, for example. Right. right. Just can't, right? And, uh, yeah. you know, you could rule that out forever, right? It seems like, I mean, but some can right so it may just be like sort of like that right some uh kinds of substances obviously they have to be arranged in a certain way in a very complex way when it comes to consciousness to be able to yield a resulting consciousness but but um i'm inclined to uh you know to think of it more you know uh more that way but yeah i'm kind of skeptical that anything we consider a robot uh that doesn't mean that I mean, I love science fiction, and I watch. Uh, I mean, that's one of the other areas that got me interested in some okay. philosophical questions growing up. I taught a class, uh, an honors class last year, science fiction and philosophy, where you get into all 
just a lot of fun stuff. You that know, sounds fantastic. Stuff, uh, personal, oh, so good. Uh, consciousness, all that kind of good stuff. Do, uh, do you have Philip K. Dick on the on the list? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we we watched. Uh, we also did Minority Report. And, oh, great! He's the man. Um, I love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, Next Generation is Commander Data, and all. I mean, now that doesn't. I mean, there may come a point where they look so much like us, and yeah. they act so much like us. I don't know, and that we almost start to not being able to help ourselves, but think sure. that they, you know, that they are. But uh, that wouldn't mean that they're con- like that. A behaviorist would say that right. they pass the Turing test, so they totally, yeah, they look like it, and we can't help but attribute it. But yeah. still, there's there's not anything that it would be like for right. for data to be. Uh, uh, there's nothing that it's like to be data. Yeah, right. I mean, at least that's uh, you know. I, I mean, obviously, when you watch the show, you start to you know you start to feel connected with, and you start to <laughs> and yeah. and or. Like, you know, you start to feel sad for him. You treat him. Does he have rights? There was a whole episode, you know, does he have rights? Um, and these are all good questions. You've got yeah. the modern day robots now, very sophisticated. And, and um, uh, some people get a little freaked out, to put it mildly, too, right? You got the whole <laughs> iRobot uh, fear scenario that's out there that uh, totally. yeah, I, I can understand that. You know? Me, too. <laughs> uh, people always poo poo that. But those movies, I mean, they were getting at something scary and interesting. Yeah, free will. I mean, whether it's consciousness or free will or both or whatever, yeah. you know, those are legitimate, you know, legitimate questions. I think, but um, you know, but that, yeah, like you said, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't follow that, you know, automatically, just because we we can't help but treat them a certain way right. as they are. But obviously, if we have any reason to think they could especially feel pains, for example, that you know that should should be a moral consideration as well, right? Like. Uh, maybe don't make them to feel pain too, right? Like maybe we should get some philosophers in there uh, overseeing or as yeah, they're developing this stuff. Well, some, some philosophers, there's a few, I'm not sure I would, <laughs> some might be okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, you know, someone watching this, uh, reach out to Dr. Gennaro here and we'll see if we can get them in there. There's a lot, there's a lot being done on along the lines of robot ethics, you know, mm-hmm. which, Interesting too, but you know, even that's why I say consciousness. A lot of it co- sometimes can come back to consciousness. You got ethical questions. You've got, you know, uh, intentions. Do the intentions matter? And yeah, ethical right, judging whether something's right or wrong, like Kantian ethics and so on. And so, you know, it, it, in aesthetics, you have a conscious. What is an aesthetic experience? Yeah, consciousness is you know plays a prominent role in that discussion. Uh, you know, Kant and others. And so, you know, there's, there always seems to be almost always seems to be something that comes back to uh, philosophy of mind or consciousness. That's why it's so huge. Well, so uh, in, in closing up here, you've been so generous with your time here, by the way. Um, I wonder about personhood. Is is consciousness like a, a necessary or a sufficient condition for, for per- personhood? Uh, yeah, I think consciousness is necessary for personhood. I, you know, there's the traditional... Traditional list, you know, at least includes, well, you know, the Marianne Warren paper from years ago on abortion, but not just that. You still disagree with her on abortion necessarily, but the, the traditional list, Daniel Dennett also uses a, something like this, which would be consciousness. Usually something like a self-awareness of some kind is included, ability to communicate, you know, capacity for um, uh, for voluntary behavior or self-motivated activity is the way it's put sometimes. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, whether all four or five or whatever they are uh, are necessary and to, although they each of them are, you know, is a different question. Yeah. But uh, consciousness does seem to be 
seem to be one, and especially in the context of uh, ethical uh, ethical uh, considerations. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think it you know it's at least a minimal one, but it is interesting. You do get some that will tie it to some something like what we started with the self self awareness. Yeah, and it, it, it not surprisingly it raises those questions about animals that we discussed earlier right i mean it sounds funny to say you know a cat is a person or or, or an ape is a person yeah but if you know again depending on the criteria depending on how you view some of them that's a matter of degree or yeah. whatever right uh, you know you could probably make the case in some which which again could have um, and maybe should have some uh um moral implications right uh, i think so yeah and and that's why again just to keep talking up consciousness those for, for those listening if you're doing a, a degree in philosophy at all consider doing consciousness because it's like there's these two extremes of animal consciousness where like the the peter singers and stuff will say well let them all out of the zoo because their consciousness is horrible and then you have the other side like lex friedman on on uh youtube and saying that robots are, are conscious and you want to say something in between without getting trapped in like a arbitrary, you know, drawing a line saying, Hey, look, a robot does not get person, uh, get human rights because they're not even conscious, dude, get out of here. And, and what's keeping us from saying that the ape has human rights? Well, it's not a human. Well, it's conscious. And so I just, I love it. It's so interesting. And I think there is actually a lot at stake ethically speaking when it comes to determining this stuff. Right. And, you know, some people are also worried a little bit about, you know, even things like the future of, of war and droning and things like that. Yeah. You know, when who's going to be making these decisions? How do we program robots? Uh, it's a little bit like the original iRobot, you know, yeah. Asimov three, three laws thing. But but, you know, you do wonder, you know, is it is it a way is it going to become a way of absolving ourselves of moral responsibility? Right. Seriously, put it off on the A.I. and let them. That's right. Well, the drone it. decided to, you know. <laughs> well, it didn't yeah. know that uh, you know we did our best in programming it, or you know that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. The culpability. Hey, mistakes. It's fine for. I mean, can't expect the drone to be perfect, right? I mean, <laughs> right. But I'm just saying that you know the one step removed uh, seems uh, you know seems so. There's but there are a lot of things like that. But if you know to the extent we are convinced, of course, that they're not conscious, especially current robots. Let's say mm -hmm. um, it certainly seems reasonable to to use robots in certain kinds of situations, maybe even dangerous ones that, um, that uh, might help uh, us or prevent some, someone, you know, you don't know if there's a, a bomb inside. Right. Yeah. Ground. Bomb disposal. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have these and you could monitor and, but um, you know, I, I think when, uh, once they start looking more and more like us and walking more and talking more, you know, we got a lot more of that with the connectionist networks now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's sometimes it kind of freak you out. I mean, well, first that Terminator old, and my age or something, but I yeah. show some of these video clips to you know the twenty-year-olds in classes, and they're like, "Whoa, man!" And they're like, they really they they seem to find it even more creepy, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, with uh, Philip K. Dick's uh, essay or short story, Second Variety, um, but it's 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 uh, not that one. There, there are people living on the moon. He always puts people on the moon and then people on Earth. And, and the people on the moon have created uh, AI robots, little scuttlers that run around. They've made uh, autonomous warehouses underground, little scuttlers. But the autonomous warehouses are AI, and they're making their robots better. They make them into people, and uh, they start destroying all the people on Earth. 
and uh, then they find their way back to the moon too. So they're just just destroying all all humans. And it's every time I hear about autonomous weapons, I'm like, okay, well, Philip K. Dick talked about this back in the '70s. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know how it is. What one something some things that started out as science fiction ended up. Uh, I mean, even you know, even laser as weapons, right? War yeah. of the worlds, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, cloning. I mean, you know, people don't often think of cloning or something like cloning, genetic manipulation. I mean, look at Jurassic Park. You know, I mean, yeah, seriously, have the what the Island of Doctor Moreau, right? Um, a famous, you know, well-known book. So you have things like that that people, you know, aware of, made movies out of, uh, and even if the reality at some point, fifty, hundred years later, isn't quite like that, sometimes it's uh, it's it's pretty. Sup- pretty amazing actually you know even even if you go back to the original star trek you know some of the things you know the uh the communication devices and you know yeah now you know there there are some things that do seem physically impossible as far as we know but but uh it is interesting to take a look at that and uh, it doesn't seem so far-fetched you know compared to to 50 years ago yeah right well so uh, last last question here i'm glad you brought it back to star trek just a, a quick one um when when they're beamed up, uh, I never understood this until I read Kim's uh, Kim's philosophy of mind book. But they're taking all their molecules and they're just re. Uh, are they killing them each time? Every time someone's beamed <laughs> up, are they being murdered? Well, that's a that's a that's a very straightforward and blunt way to put it. But many people would would many people would say yes because they're not. You're not really being transported in the sense that you know you take you and you move. You're being moved. Right. 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 Fast someplace. Uh, what's being done is you're being scanned in a certain way, and then everything is is being reproduced with the atoms and whatever is on the planet, right? That you're going down to, or vice versa. And so, teletransportation, uh, you know, has long been an issue in philosophical circles. Consciousness, research uh, about you know, is personal identity, you know, a topic. As uh, is, it sounds more like a case of simultaneous destruction murder if you like and um, a simultaneous uh, creation of of an exact molecular duplicate now again you know maybe maybe a lot of people would well who cares you know i don't know any different you know like again from the first person sure point of view it's going to seem like yeah i used to i was up there now i'm here whatever right so you don't but uh you know there are people who you know, maybe, I don't know, would you get in one? I, I don't know. I mean, even if you could be sure it worked 100% of the time, uh, not because you're afraid to, but just, you know, I, I don't know. It does seem like you're, you know, you're being destroyed, killed, right? if you want to call it that, right? And yet reproduced simultaneously. And uh, if that's the case, um, that uh, would seem like, uh, seem like it really wouldn't be you. Uh, it would be some about as close as you can possibly get to you, right. you know? Right. Otherwise, but it's it's not. I mean, and it's it's interesting in that respect, right? And and um, there was a famous episode of of Star Trek where um, there were like two Commander Rikers or something like something. That. I think I think they did with Kirk maybe too. Kirk's like bad side got split or something. Yeah, I think yeah they the one I'm the one I'm thinking of is uh, I don't know they come up to a planet. There's some kind of distress call. They go down to person is just like commander Riker. it looks exactly like the guy right the actor uh-huh. and um and then they find then 
the other one who's been on board for the last bunch of years comes into there and they're like looking at each other like what what the hell's going on and the, the one they brought on board from the planet was kind of a little bit upset to put it mildly because they thought he left them there for a while. oh wow and and they to make a long story short they uh they gave some reason why you know there was a malfunction in the teletransporter where the signal was bounced off the ship, went back to the, he was recreated again on the planet, but yeah. also was, so it's like one of those cases in personal identity, like a, what's sometimes called like fission. Sure. By where one becomes, you know, if you want to think of it like that, it, it, again, assuming that it's still you at all, right? Uh, that one becomes two. And so each of them thought of themselves though, right? Of, of himself as the continuation of the previous one yeah uh, so you know it, it it made for intriguing not to mention very practical uh, difficulties on the ship eventually he's like it was confusing for his girlfriend on board i think <laughs> yeah. so eventually uh you know what they do i forgot what they did in that episode maybe they just yeah they sent them to another i mean one yeah. of them was sent elsewhere right the one that was on a planet was sent elsewhere it just wasn't practically feasible uh, right but right. those kinds of things, you know, theoretically can happen and not just with teletransporters, but people use those kinds of, again, thought experiments in other ways. You know, why couldn't God just, you know, destroy you and simultaneously make another one just like you? Right. Yeah. Why not? If you could do one, why not two? Right. Three, Davidson's uh, Swamp Man kind of thing with the lightning bolt. Right, something like that or, yeah. or other kinds of examples. And, and is that which one is you? And you get into all these personal identity puzzles, which, you know, I'm not sure that's a case where there might not be any <clears throat> answers in the sense that um, every answer ha has an air of paradox, uh, you know, about it. I mean, it's it's not maybe the terms that are just inherently vague, you know, what we sure. mean by identity or, or these kinds of things. And so... Um, but they're very interesting, and even in the class on philosophy of mind or consciousness or whatever, personal identity issues, and, and comparing those questions with the uh, identity of, of other objects is, uh, is always pretty central, like in a metaphysics class or, or topic or something like that. So, yeah. so it's pretty, you know, it's pretty wild because it can start, you know, it can start to sound really far-fetched and bizarre, but uh, part of it is... Uh, Hey, you know, you got to have a little fun with it, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, your your class on science fiction sounds awesome. I'd love to have you back on. We could talk some science fiction and philosophy kind of stuff. Uh, sure. I know the audience would love that. Um, but for now, um, I would recommend this book. It's, it's Consciousness, again, uh, Dr. Rocco Gennaro. And uh, it is in the Rutledge uh, series on new problems in new problems of philosophy. And uh this, this conversation has been super fun. Thanks for letting me jump all around and ask you different questions. And uh, thanks for, for keeping up. And it's, it's been great to talk with you. It's no problem. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it too. Awesome. Well, uh, Lord willing, we can, we can talk about this more. But for now, it's going to have to do it. This has been Parker's Pensies. And as always, all glory to God.